Good morning, everybody. My name's Kevin. I'm part of the uh, teaching team, and uh, Pastor Randy and Clara are away in Hungary this week, so maybe about a month or a month and a half ago, uh, Randy asked if I would preach the two Sundays that they're gone, so I squirmed and said yes, and uh, he gave me you know, a very specific topic, very narrow. He said the Holy Spirit, just preach on the Holy Spirit, so... So that was my uh, that was my marching orders, and that's uh, that's what I'm going to attempt to do. So, I, you know, I don't know if you know this because it's not typically something that we really recognize in a significant way. But this Sunday and next are the two Sundays before Pentecost. So three Sundays from now, counting this one, we will be celebrating Pentecost in whatever way we celebrate or recognize Pentecost. Um, so I'm going to teach the next two Sundays, kind of as a preparation for Pentecost. Pentecost being that time in church history when the Spirit came in a mighty way on God's people and the church was born, really. And so this Sunday, it's going to be an inward-focused message, so sort of the inward work of the Spirit in us. And specifically, I want to deal with resistance to that. And then next Sunday, it'll be about the outward working of the Spirit through us. And again, I think the focus is going to be on resistance, Resistance that we may have to that working of the Spirit through us. So about uh, three and a half years ago, Cindy and I and Randy and Clara went on a sailing trip in the Caribbean. It's pretty neat. Just the four of us on a sailboat for a week. And uh, it was a great time. There was some adventure in it. It was, it was pretty exciting at points. And, uh, but what was interesting, one thing that was very interesting was I'm not a guy that dreams a lot. I don't have a lot of dreams, or if I have them, I don't remember them. But I had three very memorable dreams in three nights. First night we were there, second night we were there, third night we were there. And I want to tell you about one of those dreams, the first dream. So in this dream, I seemed like I was in the kitchen of the house we lived in in Oakland before we moved to San Antonio. So I was just in the kitchen and I was looking up at the ceiling, and on the ceiling, there was this little, like a little metal fitting, which I don't know what it was doing there, but there it was. And I looked at it, and water started to drip out of the fitting. And so I'm like, oh, we got a leak. We got a problem here. So I'm kind of trying to figure out how I'm going to fiddle with this leak that is now starting to come through. And it's starting to really come through. I mean, it is coming to where I'm not going to be able to stop this thing. And so... I have water now streaming out of the ceiling. And it is starting to pool on the floor. It's like a couple inches deep on the floor of the kitchen. So when something like that happens to you, what do you do? No, you grab a broom. You get a broom. So I went and got a broom. And I was in the kitchen. And I was trying to sweep this water out of the kitchen. Our kitchen lets out into a deck. It's our house, kind of the front yard to the backyard slopes. And so the kitchen's in the back of the house. It's on the second floor, if you can kind of imagine that. And I had the sliding glass door open, and I was trying my, you know, my hardest to get this water, which was now flooding into the kitchen, out the back door. And so at some point, as this is all happening, I find myself out the back, and I'm, I'm on the side of our house. It's a stucco house. And um, I need a volunteer. Stuart, you want to volunteer? Come up here. What I want you to do is just come here. 
and, and kind of get down, get brace yourself, get low, get brace yourself. Put your arms around my waist and brace me, all right? Because I've got to tell you what's happening here. There are waves in the backyard. There's an ocean in my backyard, okay? There's no backyard anymore. There's an ocean. And there are waves that are breaking over this house that are taller than the house. They're like more than two stories high. And I'm there, and this, this guy here is my brother-in-law, Mark, who lives in St. Louis. I don't know why he was there, but he had me by the waist. And I had my broom, and I was trying to deal with these waves. And at some point, Cindy showed up, my wife, and she got caught by one of these waves. And it flung her through the air towards the side of the house. I'm like on the side of the house. There's stuck a wall there. I'm like, that is going to hurt. That is really going to hurt. And as she is flying through the air, suddenly a door opens in the side of the house, and she goes in. And that's the dream. One nice thing about being with Randy and Clara is they have some experience interpreting dreams. You know, the prophet Joel spoke about dreams and visions. What he said was, and afterward... He's speaking really about the time when Jesus comes. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And you can read that same prophecy of Joel in the book of Acts. Peter says it right at the time of Pentecost. So it's speaking to that time of Pentecost when dreams and visions and signs and wonders will come to God's people. So let me ask you, have you had any dreams? Yeah? Any significant dreams? Any dreams that seem important? How about visions? Have you seen any visions? I would encourage you in these days to be paying attention, to be expectant. What I would say is I think the dream, I've sat with it for all this time since then. This has been three and a half years. I think the dream is prophetic. I think it's about the Spirit of God. And I think the waves are about the way the Spirit just comes over us. And there's something about me holding that broom trying to kind of manage this little problem called the Holy Spirit. Right? It's it's comical. But it maybe speaks some truth to us. So last week, Randy uh, shifted gears from talking about you know, the change that happens in us as a part of God's life in us, and he, he, he looked at specifically at the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And he kind of went through his birth, you know, his, his early days, his baptism, his ministry, even his sufferings and his death and his resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit throughout all that. And so I'm going to really zoom in on just a couple aspects of the life of the Spirit in Christ. And I, what, what I want you to think about is how does what happened in Jesus relate to what happens in us? So you can make an analogy there. But before we do that, let me just pray. And God, I'm, I'm grateful that we're gathered right now as your people. And I pray right now for expectancy in us. I pray for a willingness, Lord, to be surprised. 
And I thank you, God, that I think you've uh, given me a specific thing to share today. And I ask that you'd help me to not be in the way of that, but just to be a vessel through which you speak. And I pray that all of our hearts, God, would be open right now to you and to the work of your Spirit in us. And God, where there is resistance and where there are barriers, I ask that you would bring those to light today so that we can deal with them and not go one more day allowing that resistance or allowing those barriers to remain. And I pray this in your good name, Jesus. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about the birth of Jesus. So Mary was told by an angel that she's going to have a baby. Now, she's a virgin, so that's a little bit of a shocking piece of news. And she asked the angel, how is this going to happen since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, in the Apostles' Creed, it speaks of Jesus. It says he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So, we got some new babies in this room. We have some, some young mothers in this room. We have other mothers that uh, are familiar, but maybe it's not as recent of a memory. But let me ask you, what happened inside of Mary? Anybody? She became pregnant. How'd that happen? Right? Something happened, right? Some life got formed in her. It wasn't a spiritual life. It wasn't like a ghost-like life. It was a real physical baby that was conceived inside her. Somehow what she contributed, an egg and something else, Holy Spirit came together and Jesus was conceived and he formed inside of her. So for those many months until he was delivered, right, she carried a growing baby inside of her that kicked and kept her up in the night or whatever. So who's, whose father was Jesus? Spirit. Okay, so somehow the Spirit and Mary got together and they made a baby, right? I mean, that's, that's what happened here. Okay. So this next slide I call the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. But I think maybe a better word than saying the birth of the church is the conception of the church. So in Ephesians we read that in him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we have this idea that the holy spirit is comes upon us when we believe. Somehow we receive the spirit, we're sealed with the spirit when we believe. And just continuing on into 1 John 3, it says, No one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And then later in, in verse 24, And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. And in Romans, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So there's a lot right there. I mean, we could spend a lot of time just with that. But one, one interesting word that appears in the First John passage is the seed. This idea of 
a deposit, right, of, of God's presence kind of as a seed coming into us. And then we're born of God. There's some kind of birthing thing that happens in that. And when does that happen? When does that happen? When we hear the word of truth and believe. Right? When we believe in Jesus, when we say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are Savior, the Holy Spirit somehow is deposited in us. The seed of God comes into us. And that process, just like it began in Mary, begins in us. Now, if you think about Jesus, here we go. You know, from his conception and growing inside of Mary and his birth, and then we had a baby, right? We had a little baby. He was taken to the temple and at eight days, and Simeon raised him up and blessed him. And then after that, it's pretty sketchy about what happened, right? Somewhere around age 12, anybody remember that story? What happened? He's in the temple, right? And the family leaves thinking that he's in the caravan and he's not. And he has this encounter with his mom at that time, which basically says, how could you do this to us? We were frantic looking for you, right? And it says that, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature with God and man. And that's kind of all we hear until sometime around age 30 when he suddenly appears again. So that process that he went through is, there's an analogy there for us. He didn't just... Holy Spirit conceived inside of Mary and out popped Messiah, right? No, out popped a baby and a toddler, the terrible twos, and a little boy, right? And a young man, a teenager, a preteen, a teenager, a young man, and then a man, a fully grown adult man. And that idea of seed, if you think about a seed, when you plant a seed, what do you expect the seed to do? It's not supposed to just sit there, just stay in the ground. No, you want it to grow, right? And there's some kind of process that goes on where suddenly it it does start to grow. And that growth produces a big increase. You know, the Bible talks about seed in, in the good soil producing a 30, 60, 100 times increase beyond what was planted. So there's some kind of a almost a miraculous aspect to a seed being planted in the ground in the right kind of soil producing something that is far greater than what was put in the ground. And you remember Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus went to Jesus at night and had questions about this being born again. And and they had this conversation. You can read about it in John 3. We're not going to cover it now. But he struggled to understand this. And he was a learned teacher. And what I want to say to all of us is I think we struggle to understand this. And I don't think that more knowledge about it is what we need. And we're going to talk about that as we go on today. Okay, so we move on to the baptism. So Jesus appears on the scene at the time when John the Baptist, his cousin, was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And it says when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. I'm just reading through Luke 3 and on into chapter 4. 
And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, this is after his baptism, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then it says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And it goes on to say, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. So what happened at the baptism? So he didn't have the Holy Spirit before? So the question is, if Jesus was born of the Spirit, right, if the Holy Spirit, when Mary became pregnant, overpowered, the power of the Lord was upon her, and he was conceived by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God was his Father, why did he need to be baptized? Okay, so he just did it because that's what it said. All right. So here's here's a thought I want to here's a thought I want to introduce. All right. If you think about Jesus' life up to this point, remember after that encounter and, and uh, sort of crisis with his mom in the temple at age 12, when he said, and it says he was obedient to his family from that point forward. What I think is that at his baptism, Jesus made a decision, made a choice to surrender himself. Only to, the, to God's leading. Only to God's authority. And he stepped away from the authority of his parents. And we see a lot of evidence of his parents having, and his brothers, right? His mom and his brother. We don't really hear about Joseph, but we hear about Mary and we hear about his brothers having a lot of concern about him. What in the world has happened to you? But he made a decision. He made a choice at that time in his life to surrender his will, to surrender his authority to surrender his decision-making, to surrender his leading to the Spirit of God. That's what I think happened at his baptism. He was no longer just the carpenter's son. He made a decision to live a surrendered life. He could have chosen something else, right? Just like we can. But he made a decision before God to say, from now on, I am subject to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the power that is in me comes from the Holy Spirit, whatever he chooses to give. Wherever he sends me, whatever he gives me to speak, whatever he gives me to do, that's what I'm going to speak, that's what I'm going to do. And that's the example for us to think about. So now let's talk about the baptism of the followers of Jesus. So in Luke 3... This is John the Baptist, right? He's got all these people saying, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? And he answered them all. He said, I baptize you with water. 
but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Anybody know what that is? All right, so speaking to something that's going to happen, all right? So we continue on into Acts. Let's see what happens in Acts 1. It says, while staying with them, so this is after the resurrection. Jesus is appearing to different people, and he's with them, and he orders them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So again, this is Jesus' words to his followers after his resurrection. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, right? They were waiting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So if you think about those disciples, you know, at the time of the cross... Where were they? They were huddled in an upper room with the doors bolted shut, fearing for their lives. And then Jesus appeared to them. And it's interesting, I was thinking about this. You know, when Jesus appears to them in the upper room, you can read it in John 20, he says, you know, don't be afraid, my peace be upon you. And it says he did what? He breathed on them. He said he breathed on them. He said receive the Holy Spirit. And yet he told them to wait until the Spirit comes in power. So maybe that was the moment of belief in the resurrection, that he was the Messiah. I mean, the actual unshakable, you are the Messiah. I no longer have any doubts. And whatever faith I had, they got crushed You know, when the cross happened, when the crucifixion happened, is now kind of reborn. And he breathed the Spirit on them. Maybe that's when they received the Spirit, just like we received the Spirit when we believed. But still, Pentecost had to come. Right? Still, there was this outpouring of the Spirit that came later, and they were to wait for it and to expect it. Okay, so we have this, uh, we have this narrative that we talk about most Sundays. And if you think about it, you know, we can kind of use it as a way of thinking about a framework for what I'm talking about these two weeks. So we have this week, I'm really talking about becoming like Jesus in all things through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It's that inward work of the Spirit and us becoming like God, us becoming like Jesus as that unfolding of the Spirit, as that working of the Spirit takes place in us. And then next week, we'll talk about experiencing God's love in a way that moves us outward. Suddenly now we're loving God because we've experienced his love for us. And we're loving one another because, again, we've been filled with his love. And we're able to love this world that he loves because he's loved us and because he fills us with his love. You could think about the two parts differently. I I think early in the year when I preached about connection and discernment, you know, the inward part is about connection. How, how well do we connect to God? How well are we able to hear his voice? How much do we know that he loves us? And what is that relationship with him like? 
And then from that, right, from that knowing, from that relation, from, from that hearing, we're able to discern what is he doing in my life and what is he doing in life around me and how does he want to express himself through me. And we'll talk about this next week, how we as the body of Christ are the physical presence of Jesus in the earth today. The physical Jesus ascended, right? He's at the right hand of the Father. The spirit of Jesus is in us, and the body, we are the physical presence of Jesus in the earth. So you think about the life of Jesus. You know, what did he do? Did he heal? Did he just like go out and whenever he saw anybody, he went and healed them? Or did, how did he decide what, what to do? Okay, so whatever the Father was doing, whatever he saw the Father doing, that's what he did. Right? He didn't do other stuff. It says he just did what the Father showed him to do. And what did he speak to people? What the Father was speaking, right? Whatever the Father told him to speak. Now that's, now we should just anchor that, you know, into our, minds into our hearts because that's how Jesus lived. He didn't go do stuff that he just felt like doing or that it seemed like it would be a good idea to go do. He somehow had a connection with the Father through the Spirit of God in him and he learned because he was fully submitted to do only what he saw the Father doing. And he often went off to a quiet place so he could get himself kind of regrouped How did he do that? How did he how did he know what the father was doing? How did he know what the father was speaking? Okay. So he was just a really intense prayer. He had the spirit. Somehow the spirit of God in him the spirit of God in him revealed. Spirit of God in him taught. The spirit of God in him made clear. So if you think about what it means for us to become like Jesus in all things through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, it isn't going to be any different than what Jesus did. There's not another way. That is the way. And we have a very challenging but very clear example in how Christ lived. And what I, what I think matters really for us in this journey of becoming like Jesus is two things. One is repentance. And repentance, what does repentance mean? Change your mind. Turn your direction. Right? So it's not, it doesn't mean you're a terrible person. Right? It means I'm turning. And I think if you look at your life, certainly if I look at my life, if I think about the broom, and how long I struggled with the Spirit as somebody that I couldn't trust, right, that I was just afraid to give control over to. We're going to have lots of turnings. And the question is, are you willing to turn? Are you willing to change your mind? Are you willing to to have your ideas about things readjusted as life goes on? Or are you getting kind of dug in? There you go. That's not a bad word. Not a bad word. And then there's transformation. 
right? There's an actual change that takes place in us. So we turn to him and we say, yeah, the way that I have been doing it is not the right way. I want to do it the way that you want to do it. And then there's transformation that takes place in us. Okay, so we're going to get to now the kind of the heart of this thing. So as I was trying to narrow down the field of Holy Spirit for two Sundays and kind of zoomed in on there's that inward working of the Spirit and next week the outward, it, it became clear to me that there are barriers to the work of the Spirit in us. And as I, as I listened, as I sat before God and said, you know, what is it that you want me to share? These are the things that came to mind. Lack of faith. I just don't believe. I don't believe that God's going to do something in me. I don't believe he would use me. I don't believe he can. I don't believe he does things like that anymore. Uh, Lack of understanding. I have no idea. But I'm not going to be too curious either. Resistance to giving up control of your life. And I have to tell you, I remember it was a vivid moment in my life. It was a, a teaching time at a conference, and the guy was talking about speaking in tongues. And I'm an engineer, and I'm a really dominant left brain guy. And he said, you know, you've just got to, you know, bypass your mind. You know, let God just work directly with your heart. Not give up your understanding. Give up your need to understand. Uh, basically give up the control of your mind. And I thought, as I was listening to him, that guy is the most ridiculous person I've ever heard. I don't know what in the world is he talking about. Why would you ever give up control of your mind? Why would you ever give up control of understanding? And if you can't understand it, why would you ever do such a thing? But I did a little later, and it was amazing what happened after that. Left-brain dominance of the culture. You know, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, we're a highly rationalistic, scientifically based, touch, feel, smell society and culture. And if it, if it isn't something that you can measure, if science can't put a meter on it and say it is, well then, how can you really know, right? Who could say? How about low expectations? You know, we all came in today. Another Sunday. Summer is approaching. It's kind of cloudy outside. wonder what I'm going to have for lunch. Right? What expectations do you bring when you come in to the gathering of his people? And then how about a few examples? Like, well, okay, fine. I accept what you're saying. Um, please show me somebody that lives this way so I can go, you know, follow them. So I'm asking you right now, we're kind of moving into ministry. I want you to think. I want you to stop and listen. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind anything in you that resists his working. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking him to do it very specifically. 
Something that you know. Okay, I got a thing. And we're going to go ahead and address that in the ministry time. Okay, so uh, sometime probably like in the around 2010, I was in India. And um, Fiji, who's the lady that founded this children's home that I'm a part of in India, was talking about this guy, Tori, who wrote this book on the Holy Spirit. And I ought to really, you know, get the book. It's a great book on the Holy Spirit. And that thing just went whoosh, right over my head. I did not register at all what she was saying. I didn't really, I wasn't interested, whatever. And so that was probably 2010. Well, around, I think it was New Year's Eve 2012, Cindy was in India, and I was home by myself for New Year's Eve, and I was sitting in the living room on New Year's Eve by myself. Aw. And I was just kind of thinking about the year that has just ended, and I was thinking about the year ahead. You know, and it occurred to me, I really don't know very much about Holy Spirit. I just don't. I haven't been taught much, and I don't know much, and I haven't really tried very hard. And I was like, what was the book that VG recommended? So I called her up. Sure enough, it's this book called The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit by this old guy, Reuben Archer Torrey, who if you want to read a great biography, go read about him. He's an amazing, he's one of those you know guys from the prayer century that, you know, did amazing things. Preached all around the world, founded Biola University, you know, worked with Moody in Chicago. Um, reluctant, reluctant evangelist. But he wrote this book, and I committed myself to, to, to study the book. And I, went, I probably took a half a year just going through page by page, chapter by chapter, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And in there, there's a chapter about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to close us with. So we have this resistance. We may have resistance, right? We may have something that is like, ah, I'm just not willing to go there. And when that happens, we need countermeasures. We need something to overcome the resistance, something that will help us remove a barrier. And I want to tell you, we need to do it. It's important that we do it. If we don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit working in us, if we're not empowered by the Spirit of God in our walking with Jesus, we are like the sheep without a shepherd. You know, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, right? But if you can't hear his voice, if the Holy Spirit, who is the voice of God in us, isn't able to speak or we can't hear, we're not going to be like sheep who follow the shepherd. We're going to be like sheep that don't have a shepherd. We're going to look like everybody else, just kind of fumbling our way through life, hoping for the best, hoping that nothing too bad happens. And if you go back to that, think about the seed, right? Think about God depositing in you a seed. What can you do to help the seed grow? Okay, so there's, first of all, there's all the thing about the soils, right? Some of us, we got these uh, really hard kind of stamped down paths where the seed isn't really able to penetrate. And then we've got shallow, rocky places where it's like there's no way a root is ever going to go anywhere. And then we got kind of these choking weeds that maybe the seed is growing and it's, it, wants to, it wants to be fruitful, but it's just choked out. And then there's some fertile places, right? There's some places where, hey, the seed can actually 
do what the seed is supposed to do. And then there's kind of some gardening techniques, right? We can water. We can do weeding. We can remove rocks, right? We can put some fertilizer down there. Pest control, right? Got a lot of things we can do. And then, of course, there's the weather, which, you know, we can't really control the weather. So what, what, what Tori's got here is just kind of steps that we can go through to have that baptism, to have that fullness of the Holy Spirit in us. And I think what he's saying is there are things that we can tend to and we ought to tend to those things. And so let's just go through them real quickly. The first one is, have you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior? So if there's anyone present this morning for whom Jesus is not their Savior, he's not the Lord, that's something that we can deal with right now. Second thing is is to renounce sin. And it's a decision that we make. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin. It means I don't want to keep on sinning. I don't want sin to be the way that I am. I want the life of God to be full in me. Third thing is we make that known. Right? It's not a secret. Tucked away. But it's that, look, I am wanting to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, and I want to be done with sin in my life. And I've made that known to other people who want the same. And the fourth one is a big one, right? And that is to surrender. And I think this is the area where that resistance kind of sneaks in. It's like, what am I not willing to surrender to God? I'll surrender that, right? But not this. If you don't surrender, it doesn't mean that God still won't have mercy and kind of overwhelm, but I think that's what the crashing waves may signify. But surrendering is this thing we can do, right? It's within our will to say, I surrender to you, God. I give this area over to you. I don't understand it. I don't even like it, but I give it to you. And then he says, if you want to be baptized... Desire it. I think for a lot of my life, I didn't want that. I was afraid of it. I know he's going to send me somewhere around the other side of the world. It's going to be miserable. And then you simply pray, God, let me receive your baptism. Because I can't see how I could possibly live this life. I can't see how I could possibly be like Jesus in all things unless I surrender to you and you baptize me, whatever that means, with your spirit. And then you just go forth, believing. It's up to him. You've done your part, right? Okay. Go to that last slide, Terry. You know, I I want all of us to be the people that God 
gave so much for us to be. And I'm not saying we aren't on our way to doing that. But if there are things that are in between us and God that prevent us from moving forward, from receiving the fullness that he has for us, from becoming really like Jesus, which sounds kind of crazy, but is exactly what we're called to be, then I want to deal with those things. And so I think that the way to do this is um, if some of you would come forward to pray with others, now would be a good time. And as you, I'm going to pray to close. And as I pray, as you hear the Spirit, if you get a nudge, then please come on up and tell somebody, hey, this is what I heard. You may not even fully understand it. Just report what you heard and then be prayed for. And then after that, we'll go ahead and close. So let me pray. I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, to be merciful to us. We need mercy, God, because we are in so many ways not wanting to turn over control to you out of fear, out of not knowing how good you really are. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that right now you would be at work to remove obstacles to your full working in us. I ask you to bring to mind, to make very clear anything, Lord, that you want to deal with this morning. And I pray, God, for faith in each of us to let you nudge us and to act upon the nudge. I thank you, God, that you love us, that you welcome us, that you have wonderful plans for us. And God, I pray that you'll just bring the crashing waves of your love over us right now. I pray that you'll light a fire in us right now. I pray that to whatever extent your Holy Spirit has not had full access to us, full allegiance of us, God, that your Spirit will have that access, that your Spirit will have that allegiance, that your Spirit will be the Lord, your Spirit will be the guide, your Spirit will be the one that we look to. So thank you for this time. Please do a mighty work in us right now. I pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.